Ladies and gentlemen, it's good to be a football fan this week. And I'm not talking maybe you're a Buffalo Bills fan or a Green Bay Packers fan. I'm talking a football fan. Because what we just witnessed this past weekend was the greatest weekend of football in my entire life. Four games, each decided by six points or less. All last second field goals to either win the game or go into overtime. Giants fell, young stars rose, and all types of betting and predictions were thrown upside down. It was the greatest weekend of football I have ever seen or will hope to see in a long time. Guys, I am out of quarantine, thank the Lord, tested negative yesterday. So I'm back here on campus. It's been a blast. But as much as I hated being in quarantine with all the positive tests that I was getting with no side effects, it was honestly a small blessing in the football fan eyes because I got to watch by myself on my own time. I got to indulge in amazing football, amazing coaching, amazing play, on defense, on offense, we had sunny weather, we had indoor weather, we had, or no indoors, but we had snowy weather, we had windy weather, we had it all. We had it all this week. And it was just, I was kind of thinking about how I was going to do this episode and I kept using the word speechless. There are not enough ways for me to describe the magnanimity of how amazingly fun I had this weekend. Now it's time to actually break down the games, starting with Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals going into the number one seeded Titans town in Nashville and taking down a Derrick Henry-led Titans offense, 19-16. to This game was back and forth a lot. Eventually was tied by the end of the third quarter. Last second field goal. First one of the week. We thought we had a a great first game. We weren't even close to what was going to come later in the week. But Joe Burrow played okay in this game. Jamar Chase did fantastic. On the other side, Ryan Tannehill definitely struggled. He was the key to this game and fell hard. Derrick Henry truly didn't get on his feet as well. He had 20 carries for only 62 yards and a touchdown, while Dante Foreman had four carries for 66 yards. So combined, the rushing game was doing okay for Tennessee, but three turnovers by Ryan Tannehill, one on the very first play of the game, one on the very last drive. It was just... He really just didn't come into the moment like Joe Burrow did. Joe Burrow saw the moment and attacked it. Ryan Tannehill let the game determine how he played, and he played extremely poorly. Now, breaking down how this game went, it was clear the defenses were dominating the line of scrimmage. Joe Burrow was sacked nine times in this game, and according to Kevin Patra, 
Kevin Patra from NFL from NFL.com, he wrote that there uh Joe Burrow's nine sacks was the second time ever a team has had their quarterback sacked and won in a playoff game since KC's Len Dawson in the nineteen sixty six AFL championship game. A lot of these stats, I'm going to give a boatload of stats because it really was a historic weekend, all provided by Patra in his article on NFL.com. Go check it out. Phenomenal, phenomenal written article, but I'm going to be using a lot of those stats and historic records in today's podcast because it's unbelievable how much significance these past few days have been. Going back to the Titans-Bengals game, It really was dominated at the line of scrimmage for both teams. I mean, Cincinnati was getting to Tannehill as well. Cincinnati was doing unbelievable, unbelievable job at stopping the run game and holding this Tennessee team to only 16 points. They were jumping the gun on all the wide receivers. It was amazing to watch. By the end, though, you could tell the Tennessee offense was slowing down. And honestly, I was texting friends and family about this. The last two-minute drive by Tennessee was the worst time management run series that I have ever seen ever like when you have the ball the game is tied you have two minutes left at your own 25 all of your time or um I forget how many timeouts they had left it was at least two timeouts it was at least two and you go down and you're nonchalantly like their energy was zero They didn't care about how fast they were going to play. They took all the time in the world, and then they would make either, they would get like 10 or 12 yards. Like, I think they took up a minute and 20 seconds to only go roughly 22 yards. Like, that's how pathetic it was to watch. They didn't care about how much time they were taking off the clock. And what that allowed Cincinnati to do was once Cincinnati there was realized there was no hurry up they started bringing the secondary back because they knew Tennessee was going to have to take some deep shots eventually like literally it looked like Tennessee was okay with going into overtime even though they had multiple timeouts and the whole field to work with to only score a field goal it was absolutely pathetic the hustle and the energy and if you look at the interception there were four Bengals around the Tennessee wide receiver when Tannehill threw that interception. They were already there. They knew a deep pass was coming, and they jumped the gun. Tannehill made a bad throw, and there you go to the interception. And if you watch Cincinnati, they realized they could win, and they went down and attacked. Jamar Chase had a big gain. A few more runs later, great field goal from 50-plus out, and the game was over. Speaking of field goals... Let's talk about this Evan McPherson here, who had four field goals in this game, two from 50-plus out, including the game winner, and then the other two from 45 and 38. He had, I believe, three or four field goals last week as well against the Oakland uh, Las Vegas Raiders. But this man has been the most absolute clutch kicker in this postseason for sure. And honestly... Most of the regular season, we kind of saw this kid coming by the end of the regular season, and now he's absolutely come alive. He called the end of this kick, guys. I'm sure everyone has seen that by now, but the confidence that has come out of this kicker has grown to the rest of this team, and it's something that was shown in this game that you did not see 
from the Tennessee side at home even. Speaking of lack of confidence, we're going to go over to the 49ers and Packers game where the 49ers defense absolutely dominated the Aaron Rodgers-led Packers. Final score of 13-10. 49ers still having the number on the Green Bay Packers. 0-4 Aaron Rodgers and the Packers are against the San Francisco 49ers in the playoffs. It's been multiple... It's been... In the NFC Championship, it's been in the divisional round, it's been all over the place, but the 49ers in the playoffs seem to have the Packers numbers, no matter what the conditions are. We're talking below freezing, snowing in Lambeau Field, conditions that Green Bay should be more prepared for than San Francisco, also considering Green Bay had a bye first time that the two uh, number one teams have gone down in the first uh, in the divisional round, and I believe since 2011 or 2010. I think it was 2011, but still a decade's worth of number one teams moving into the NFC champ or championship games, and here on the same day, no less, both number ones were knocked out. Last second field goal again by Robbie Gold, who has done well. When it comes to playoffs, has never missed a field goal in the playoffs. This game, when it started, you had that perfect drive, opening drive by the Green Bay Packers, go down and immediately score a touchdown within the first six minutes of the game. Very productive drive. Devontae Adams, I believe, had three or four catches on that one drive. A.J. Dillon had a few great runs, and it looked like in that one single drive, that the Green Bay Packers were going to dominate the rest of the way. I really like stopped watching a little bit after that first drive because the way they so handled themselves going down that first period was so like what they had done the regular season that I expected the same thing to come. Except what happened was the pressure started getting to Aaron Rodgers. Nick Bosa has been, in my opinion, the defensive player of this entire playoffs. He has had a direct correlation on how this team succeeds. The two seasons Nick Bosa has played a full year, San Francisco 49ers have made it to the NFC Championship. The one year he was hurt, they fell and had a top three draft pick. It's been, I mean, that that draft pick came from the Houston Texans, but you get what I mean. Like they fell off, didn't make the playoffs last year when Nick Bosa got hurt. But now that he's healthy, now that he's healthy and he's getting up into the quarterback's face, it's just it blew out Dak Prescott last week. It blew away Aaron Rodgers this week, and he has directly correlated himself with winning games. Aaron Rodgers was sacked five total times for a loss of 29 yards, and even more times was he pressured in this game. It really was the front seven that made a difference, as well as the secondary. I mean, give credit to the secondary for forcing Aaron Rodgers to hold on to the ball. But honestly, as soon as Aaron Rodgers got uncomfortable, you could tell this whole offense got uncomfortable, and they never got to that upbeat tempo that they had that original drive and they started falling off. They didn't score another touchdown the rest of the game. They didn't score another point towards the fourth quarter. San Francisco finally was able to catch up. Now, their offense from the San Francisco 49ers didn't do much. Let's make that clear. Like, they didn't even score a touchdown in this game. Their only touchdown came from the special teams. 
In fact, the San Francisco 49ers are only the third team in the last 20 years to win a playoff game without scoring an offensive touchdown. The Green Bay Packers defense was doing its job. The guys up front were getting to Jimmy Garoppolo. He didn't look great, had an inter- a really bad interception in the first half, and was getting flustered all over. It wasn't until the second half, until that passing game and that running game really started to take effect and get him into field goal range, and then Robbie Gold was absolute money. But give credit to the Green Bay Packer defense for holding into this game and forcing the San Francisco offense to only really six points. The biggest touchdown in this game and the only touchdown for the San Francisco 49ers came from a blocked punt, which followed a blocked field goal that ended the first half. Special teams, we knew special teams on the Green Bay Packers was terrible. They were the worst in the NFL coming into these playoffs. But really, in a playoff situation, in these conditions, you have to be money. Mason Crosby is a good kicker, but the rest of the special teams had really struggled, and it cost them going into the NFC Championship. I know it's Aaron Rodgers' responsibility to score, and he really should have, and this was probably the worst game that he had ever played in his playoff career. But special teams has so much more valuable than than most people think, and it really showed itself this past weekend in this 49ers to uh, Packers football game. Otherwise, it was a phenomenal game to watch. I mean, defensive battles are sometimes really boring, and they're sometimes entertaining and just so fascinating to watch. And I think that was the type of game we had on Saturday, 49ers into the NFC Championship. Moving on to the other NFC game, and if you didn't think these games were wild, let's go to the games on Sunday. Rams versus Buccaneers, another last-second field goal game. And actually... With the with that third field goal on Sunday by Matt Gay, and with this third game of the weekend being decided by a last-second field goal with time running out, the most of such type of games in NFL playoff history. Not just one weekend where you have three of those games. I'm talking the full-on three Last-second winning plays have not happened ever in a single playoff, and it happened all in consecutive weekend games in the divisional round this week. Unbelievable series this past weekend. But going specifically to the Rams game, this was another solid game of a tale of two halves. Absolute dominance coming from the Rams in the first half. Heck, they were up 20-3 to going into the second half. At one point, they were up 28-3, to or 27 to three early in the third quarter. But once you saw Tom Brady put that look on his face, it was go time from there. And Tom Brady storms back with 24 unanswered points, ties the game up with 42 seconds left. And just when you think Tom Brady's going to go into overtime and pull off the miracle like he has done time and time again, Matthew Stafford decided to say, not this time. And Cooper Cup gets open in two plays. Matt Gay kicks the game-winning field goal and shuts the entire stadium up. Like, literally, I have never heard a crowd go from so hyped to so soft in one set of plays, in in that many set of plays at that last-second series. 
It was unbelievable to witness. Matthew Stafford put down a lot of haters, including me. I did not think he had that clutch factor in him, but with 28 of 38, 366 yards and two touchdowns, Cooper Cup with 183 yards and a touchdown, Matthew Stafford is playoff ready for the NFC Championship. He has 100% deserved this. He has been his entire career. He finally has a team, and he has been waiting for this moment, and he stepped up, and he took down the GOAT. I mean, it is a tall task to take down the GOAT in his home stadium. Granted, there were plenty of injuries on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers' side. If they were healthy, maybe the story would have changed. On the other hand, maybe the Rams could have stepped up and played better. I'm not sure, and I'm not going to make speculations if everything was perfect for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. All I know is that this game was tied with 42 seconds left. The ball was given to Matthew Stafford, and he said, make it happen, and he did. He did. He acted like the GOAT in this game after the GOAT had done its thing, had done his thing. With that being said, I think there are a lot of things that the Rams could focus on this week when they go to take on the San Francisco 49ers, considering they have lost their previous seven straight to the San Francisco 49ers. The first is the fumble turnovers. Cam Akers with two fumbles. A missed snap in this game. Another fumble by, I believe, Matthew Stafford. Four total fumbles. And with those four total fumbles, the Rams become the fourth team to do so in a playoff game and still win in NFL history. Along with the turnovers, I do think that the coverage could make some better schemes. I think Jalen Ramsey truly got exposed in that second-to-last touchdown by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers with that 55-yard straight go route where he completely got beat. And we th- and people thought Antonio Brown was the best receiver on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. No, no, no. It's been Mike Evans. It is Mike Evans. The biggest man on the field absolutely blows by the best corner on the field and scores a touchdown to put them within one score. So that was because they were gotten they were getting nervous of Scotty Miller on the other side, so they give Ramsey one-on-one, he gets exposed. So I think maybe the scheming, because, I mean, Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuel and George Kittle are going to be a force. Maybe they're not as big as Mike Evans, and maybe they're not as, um, let's say, low-profile as Scotty Miller, but... Those three guys, if you spread them out, you're going to need some good schemes if you're off if your defensive line can't get to the quarterback quick enough. So maybe the Rams can tweak on that a little. But that front seven guys, they stopped the run game for most of this game of the Tampa Bay of Tampa Bay. Uh, Aaron Donald was getting in there. Von Miller was getting there. Everyone was getting in there. Um, and I think that that is going to be the biggest key for them next week. I mean, you want to talk about some front sevens. You got Nick Bosa and Fred Warner going against Von Miller and Aaron Donald. Whew. I think those are the best front four, front seven in the NFL going at it next week. It's going to be amazing. As for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, you know, there were injuries. Um, there were a lot of mistakes in this game by Tom Brady. Offensive line, the injuries really showed. He barely had any time. Once the tempo started picking up and once the urgency started picking up, they started playing Tampa Bay football. And really, the defense just mentally blew it by giving, I guess, Cooper Cup a lane. I mean, they lost coverage with him earlier for his first touchdown, 
And then that final play of the game, they just blew by him. Like, I don't know how you let the number one wide receiver in the NFL absolutely run by you when the game counts the most. But it was a mental fluke, and they paid for it. The biggest talk this week has been whether Tom Brady is going to stay, whether he'll go to a different team, whether he'll retire. My belief is that he will stay with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I say that for a few reasons. One, I think he knows he can win another championship with this team. I think this team knows they can win another championship with Brady. I think they still have the firepower of an offense when everyone's healthy and still have a solid defense, get a few draft picks, get a few trades maybe on the defensive side to compete with anybody in the NFC, even the Los Angeles Rams. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are still number one in the NFC South, in my opinion, still playoff ready with a Tom Brady, no doubt about that. I also think that Tom Brady wants to go out on a win. I don't think, like, I just don't see him putting up that profile of this is how I'm going to retire. The other reason I don't think Tom Brady is completely done yet is that I don't think, or I think he thinks he's still the best in the NFC, which I agree with. Like, you got all the young guns coming out of the AFC who could challenge Brady as the greatest quarterback in the NFL right now. But in the NFC specifically, I think Tom Brady is convinced he's still the best and still wants to play as the best. Like when the next generation comes in and overthrows him for best quarterback in the league, maybe he'll retire. But in the NFC particularly, to get to that Super Bowl, he's still the best quarterback in my opinion, and I think he wants to hold on to that stay there till he's 45 and keep that throne and go get one more ring to make it eight. Finally, we've got the Bills and the Chiefs. And if we didn't think the LA Rams, Tampa Bay Buccaneers had enough drama in it, we weren't prepared for the Chiefs and the Bills game. This was the craziest two minutes of my life, basically. I mean, it was... Unbelievable. First playoff game in NFL history with three go-ahead touchdowns scored in the final two minutes of regulation. Chiefs became the first team in the postseason history to allow a go-ahead touchdown in the final 15 seconds of a regulation of regulation and still win the game. Like 13 seconds just became like Patrick Mahomes needs to put his number as 13 because that is not enough time to stop this Kansas City Chiefs offense from getting into field goal range. I personally thought the game was over, but I wasn't going to put anything against him, especially after that first play. As that first play that went down to, I think, Mikkel Harmon, I knew they were going to get into field goal range. Like Something in me knew it was going to happen. And I don't necessarily think the Bills played too bad of defense. They really got in their face. They really challenged them. And two plays later... One of them to a wide-open Travis Kelsey who got somehow open. I mean, they got in the field goal range, and Harrison Bucker, who had been struggling with the um, with the extra points for most of the night, really decided to come in clutch at the very end there. This was These are the two best quarterbacks in the AFC, in my opinion, Josh Allen and Patrick Holmes. They showed it out. 27 of 37 for Allen, 329, four touchdowns. These uh, quarterbacks also led their teams in rushing yards. Allen was 68, Mahomes was 69, Mahomes also had a rushing touchdown. 
Passing side for Patrick Mahomes, 33 of 44, 378, and three touchdowns. Uh, star wide receivers, I mean, it was we had a surprise wide receiver come out from Gabriel Davis instead of Stephon Diggs. Davis with eight receptions, 201 yards, and four touchdowns. First wide receiver in postseason history to have four touchdowns in a single game. On the other side, Tyreek Hill, 150 yards, a a go-ahead touchdown in those last two minutes. Travis Kelsey as well, also had 96 yards and the game-winning touchdown. This game, back and forth, we knew it was going to be a battle like this. Like The 26-21 score that happened midway through the fourth quarter, I was not surprised about. Like, okay, this is how this game's supposed to go. I honestly thought my prediction of 31 to 28 was going to be pretty darn close to this final score. But two minutes came by, guys. And these defenses that I had shown in earlier in the game they could stop the uh, the opposing offense decided to absolutely crumble. Miscommunication, blown coverages. Guys, that third touchdown by Gabriel Davis where he absolutely juke the heck out of that KC cornerback was the greatest play of the entire season in my opinion like like that move in and of itself just needs to be recognized more than it already is now I mean we do not see professional cornerbacks get have their ankles broken as bad as basketball players it just doesn't happen as much Gabriel Davis literally had to stop his route in the end zone because he was so wide open and just sit there and catch the ball. It was the greatest play of that game, in my opinion, from a skills standpoint, and one of the greatest plays I had ever seen this year. I had a blast watching that play. Davis, by the way, I think I've mentioned this before, went to my high school, played at UCF. Homeboy Davis was a little bit sad he didn't get the dub in this game, but had a blast watching him. I mean, I'm... I'm trying to break down this game, and it's it's absolutely ridiculous how it all went down. 13 seconds, guys. I mean, 13 seconds. Now, let's go into some more debated topics. Um, first off, I mentioned this uh, last week how Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes might be the new Manning and Brady duo battle. That's guaranteed uh, yes. That is the new norm. They have equally shared that position with a Brady and a Manning. Right now, Mahomes is the Brady because he's he's gotten it done more times than Allen. But Allen is going to get his shots here eventually, and he's going to win a few championships of his own. I'm certain of that. But the other one is this overtime thing. The Kansas City Chiefs get the coin toss. They go down the first drive, the score touchdown, they win. Okay, so this happened... A few years ago when the uh, Brady-led Patriots went out and did it to Patrick Mahomes, right? And everyone was fussing about it then. I mean, not as much, but like we got everyone going crazy about the overtime rule now. Here's my thing. Um, I don't think they should change it. I'll get out of it right now. Um, I feel like this is one of those issues where no matter what happens, someone's going to be complaining, and they will never have an official resolve that says, yeah, this is how it should have been. We are happy with this decision. No one's ever going to be happy with the decision. Everyone's going to be upset about how the new rule is. And I think it I think it should stay. These defenses had proven that they could stop the opposing offense and it it saves time in the game and it doesn't really 
In the last 10 postseason overtime games, 9 out of 10 teams have won based on the coin toss, but only 20% of those teams won on the very first drive of the game. So I don't necessarily think the coin toss is the issue, nor do I think there is an issue. Buffalo, just play better D. Um, I didn't mention this in the podcast episode on last Thursday, but I do believe that the Bills were an overranked defense. They were the number one in scoring, but the team in and of itself was only two and four against playoff teams. They had a ridiculously easy schedule, dominated easy teams, close wins or losses to good playoff teams when they went 11 and six on the year. I knew they had weaknesses. I thought their secondary was fantastic. Their, I thought their run defense was definitely the the weaker zone. But I was not convinced they were going to be able to hold the Chiefs to under 30 points. I just knew they were going to be weaker as the game went on, and it really showed. So I was not necessarily surprised by how easily they let the Chiefs score at the very end. Was Is there stuff to be blamed on the defensive side? Yes. But ultimately, the Chiefs' offense has just got too many weapons. The Bills' defense got tired at the end, was not able to pressure Mahomes, and their guys were able to get open. It is a simple fact as that. I don't believe the overtime rules should be changed. It is a never-ending cycle of arguments. I think for the purity of the game to not look more like college football, they need to keep it as it is and have defenses play better or just have offenses make more mistakes because not every day you're going to have a 36 to 36 overtime game that's going to go into overtime and be decided by the first position. It's not going to happen like that. Guys, I'm sorry if you didn't have as much fun as me this past weekend, but I had an absolute blast watching these eight teams go at it. The NFC Championship is set. It'll be Bengals at the Chiefs and 49ers at the LA Rams. Going to be an exciting matchup next weekend on just Sunday. We only got two games on Sunday this upcoming weekend. Later this week, along with my championship predictions, I'm going to be breaking down the seasons of the four eliminated teams and what they need to do in the offseason to get past the divisional round and compete for a Super Bowl championship. Thank you guys for hanging in there with me. I'll see you later this week. Peace out.